0: Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, John, leading us once again this morning. What a privilege it's been to lift our voices before our God. Thank you for your leadership and service to us. Uh, If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. And as you turn there, I also uh, want to let you know we will be having our full range of services tonight as well. Uh, so it's, it's been a while since we've had our Sunday evening service, so 6 o'clock uh, back here we will uh, worship together. Tonight uh, is a night of worship, and so normally it would have been last Sunday night, but it will be tonight. If you've not had a chance to be a part of one of these, I would strongly encourage you, make every effort to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, also, we will have Awana, though that it is an abbreviated schedule, so Awana from 6 to 7. Normally we start at 5.30, but we'll do it a little different because some of our space, space issues require that. So, 6 o'clock, 6 to 7, will be Awana, and our students uh, also will begin Bible study tonight as well. So, uh, we have every age covered, so come, be a part uh, of our Sunday evening opportunities to serve and worship together. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. This I recalled to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. In just a few minutes, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. But before we do that, I wanted to continue, I guess what you would call a mini-series. I don't know that I intentionally started out to do this, but it is, as you well know, if you've been with us for a while, it's kind of the way... Uh, I might do things what I intend to get done in one week is about a three week thing right we figured this out uh, i I might be like other industries where if they say it 'll take two weeks, it takes four weeks right So if your pastor says i 'll get this done in one week, triple it okay so that 's where we are last week we took We took a break from Romans. I felt like the situation required us to think a little bit uh, differently, or or at least to think more carefully, in particular about our doctrine of God. What what do we think when we think about God? What what matters at a time like this, as we endure what we have been enduring, and will continue to endure what we have been enduring, it is critical that we get our theology right. Our thoughts about God have got to be right. And so there have been a lot of ways we've been thinking about this, and in Lamentations 3 verses 21 through 27, we have a little section here of a book that otherwise is really, really dark, a book that is full of grief, I mean, you can tell by its name, it's it's not going to be your, you know, uh, happy, happy, good time book, right? The name of the book is Lamentations. So, what are you going to do when you have a book like Lamentations? You are going to lament. We talked about that last week. And that means more than just feeling kind of bad things didn't work out right. In an ancient sense, this is deep grief. And we have a a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. He's at the end of his life. Babylon has come in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He had been telling them for decades this is what was going to happen if they don't become faithful to the covenant. They didn't become faithful to the covenant. From the most powerful to the, to, the most, uh, to the least among them, no one listened to Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet, not just because of the prophecy he'd been given, but because he had zero converts in his ministry. Not one. Not one at the end of his life ever came to his side and said, I'm with you. Jeremiah's life was brutal and difficult, not only because he was on his own, trying to speak God's truth when no one would listen, but now here he is at the end of his life, everything that God told him would happen has happened, the city is destroyed, thousands are dead, the children have been carted off to Babylon to be reprogrammed and brainwashed. And they say that Jeremiah was probably literally sitting on the stones of the temple, As he wrote the book of Lamentations, and it's a hard book. In fact, even in chapter three, David—I mean uh, Jeremiah—is talking about how his bones are, are, are breaking apart inside of him, his teeth are falling out, his hair is falling out, his skin feels like it's sagging off of his body. This is the language that he's using. And then there's a bright spot. It's just a flash. It doesn't last very long. And, and, it, and it may be surprising to hear that one of the great statements of faith in all the Bible that was used to turn one of the great hymns of all of church history, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes from one of the darkest books in the Bible. And as Jeremiah allows himself to, to rise above, really kind of forces it upon himself, as you see there in verse 21, he says, This I recall to my mind. I am going to make myself Think properly, and it's going to give me hope. So as he forces himself to rise above what is the harsh providence of God that he's under, he recalls to mind precious truths about who God is, about the role God should play in the life of his people. So I think these words are fitting for us as we think about what Jeremiah points our minds to, as we force ourselves to think clearly and carefully about who God is in the midst of harsh providence. Keep in mind, though, what I said last week. I don't want us to confuse context here. I I am not suggesting that what has happened to us is similar to what Babylon did to Jerusalem, all right? These, These are not the comparison points. This is not... You know, God prophesying, judgment, no one listening, and that's what this is. However, I think the reality afterwards feels much the same. We find ourselves in a city that is not like what it used to be. And, and, and we, we face what is a long-term process of getting back to normal, and so I think it is helpful that we spend our time thinking about these things about God. Last week, we looked at the first principle Jeremiah brings to mind about God and how that helps in our suffering, and that was God's mercy. Verses 22 and 23, undoubtedly the most famous verses in the entire book, where where Jeremiah declares not just God's mercy and compassion, but we made much of the plural form of the words, God's mercies, God's compassions. And noted his statement that these being new every morning doesn't mean it's a brand new kind of mercy never before seen. It's language that says with every day we are granted sufficient mercy for that day. God doesn't make us live today's faith only based on yesterday's faithfulness. He shows us faithfulness each and every day. It's a way of reminding us that God is ever-present. God is in our current situation. It's not that we shouldn't remember what God did for us in the past, but what God did for us in the past is worthy of remembrance because it speaks to what He's doing today. So, So Jeremiah ends with that great statement, great is thy faithfulness. Then we have the second principle. Well, one that I think is, is unique and, and quite frankly is a little striking. I, I think the verse this comes from gets overlooked and is underappreciated. After reflecting on God's mercy, Jeremiah then reflects on God's value. God's value. Notice what it says there in verse 24. The Lord... Is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Now, at first glance, that's an odd statement, isn't it? In other words, if if I were to ask, when you think of the word portion, what normally comes to our mind? We think of like a part of something, right? Maybe our, our minds go, I say our. I'm not going to throw everybody else under the bus. It's just me, alright? Maybe my mind immediately goes to food. Portion. You could say, I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I may have a portion control issue. Alright? The pro- that's my that's a problem, alright? So in other words, we hear the word portion, we think, we think a portion part of something. Well, that would be strange, wouldn't it? I mean, if Jeremiah would say, the Lord is my portion, d- d- does, that, does that mean I get a part of him? I mean, what, what is that trying to say? It, it, it doesn't necessarily translate right away until you kind of dig in a little bit to the what's behind the word and the phrase, the Lord is my portion, keeping in mind When the Bible equates the Lord with something, it is significant. In other words, when it says the Lord is fill in the blank, that's a really big deal. And the Bible is full of all kinds of images and metaphors. The Lord is my, what's most famous, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. All right, we get that, right? The Lord is a rock. The Lord is a shelter. The Lord is an anchor for my soul. In other words, we've got all these images. The Lord is my portion. I mean, is that like the Ben and Jerry's container that says, you know, there's four servings? Please, right? I mean, come on. Please, four in that? No, that's one. Okay, all right, so it's one. Please. Do I just get a part of God? Well, the term really speaks to another important use of the language of portion And that's the language of inheritance. We may not use this language like this today, but back in the day, say the firstborn, if his father were to die, then his portion would be not just a part of the inheritance. The firstborn got the inheritance, right? It was his portion, not a part, but it was his allotment. It's what came to him. It's what he received. It was the reward. It was the blessing. It was the inheritance. When Jeremiah shifts language here, he goes from talking about what God does for me to the value of God himself. Not just that God is is one who shows me mercy and shows me compassion, but Jeremiah is saying, God, you yourself you are my inheritance. You are my greatest desire. You are my greatest reward. You are of greatest value. And I love how he says it. The, the Lord is my portion says what? My soul. It's similar to what he said in verse 21 when he said, this I recall to mind. And in other words, my circumstances, my experiences are not going to dictate my theology. My theology is going to interpret my circumstances and my experiences. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I don't care what my circumstances say. Again, keep in mind what's going on here with Jeremiah. He is sitting on the rubble heap that was the temple. What was the temple? The temple was the visible earthly manifestation of the presence of God. And what is it that Jeremiah is saying? God, you yourself are what is of ultimate value to me. You are my inheritance. Jeremiah understands that in the long term what he receives is of far greater value than what he sees around him. He knows that for all eternity God will be his God. And notice how personal this is jeremiah is unashamedly declaring this is going to sound strange you ready for this god is his possession let that sink in for a minute oh we'd all be fine with saying well the lord says i'm his possession right we love language of adoption. We are his children. Okay, we get that. But Jeremiah is turning that and he's unashamedly doing so. God, God, you you are my possession. Now he doesn't mean that as if he owns God but he certainly means that in a way of saying God is, is my inheritance. The promises God have, has made to me are those promises that can never be broken that will never be lost. These are promises that will never be piled up in a street outside your home. These are promises that will not rust where moth cannot destroy. These are the blessings of heaven for all eternity and they are to all those who know God as their Savior. God is my portion. It's my inheritance. Jeremiah is quite simply forcing us to see that what is of greatest value is God Himself. What is of greatest value? He is the greatest reward and blessing. This phrase, by the way, is found in three other places other than here. So, four places in the Old Testament where it says, the Lord is my portion. The other three are found in the Psalms. And all of them are the same context. In other words, all four times this shows up, it has somewhere along the way references to the grief and and the trials and the difficulties that are faced in life. In particular, when life on this planet can seem confusing and burdensome, when the questions about God and His sovereignty and His providence might swirl around us, it it is in each of these contexts that either the psalmist or Jeremiah declares the Lord is my portion. Perhaps the most well-known one is Psalm 73. You certainly write that down. You can read that at some other point. This is a psalm by Asaph. I'm sure everybody knows everything about Asaph, right? You ask your neighbor. All right, they'll tell you after the service, I'm sure, okay? And and in the psalm, in Psalm 73, he's dealing with a perennial issue. Why is it, when I look around and I see wicked people, that it seems like they prosper, and yet righteous people suffer? We've all asked the question, right? We've heard it over and over again. And Asaph struggles with this. He works his way through this. Why is it that those people who seem to love God and serve God, why is it they face such harsh providence at times? Why is it that then the wicked, those who care nothing about God, seem to have material resources, positions of power and fame and significance? Why is it that it seems like in this earth sometimes the vilest are exalted to high positions when good godly people Not only are they often overlooked, sometimes they're downright persecuted for the very goodness they're expressing. Why does this happen? Now, I guess a bit of a spoiler alert if you've never read Psalm 73, he doesn't answer all of that question for you, all right? So if you're thinking, wow, finally we'll have an answer to that question, let's go read Psalm 73. I mean, I encourage you to do so, but here's his conclusion. Here's his solution to the problem. Much like Jeremiah, he forces himself to think theologically, to recognize that though there may be those on this earth who are wicked, who seem to enjoy prosperity in this earth, that is fleeting. Whatever reward they have in this earth, whatever so-called blessing or material benefit or fame or power, whatever they garner for themselves in this life is of no ultimate value, but those who are God's people, those who are the righteous, those who are the covenant keepers, these who know and love God and are known and loved by God, these enjoy eternal, forever, unbreakable blessings in glory. This is his bottom line. And so he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the reality of life, by the way. This is the, I think this is a guy who's being really honest with the way things are and the way things are always going to be. In this life, your flesh and your heart may fail in this life you are going to continue to see those things that seem unjust unfair you are going to continue to see this disparity between wicked and prosperity and righteous and suffering that this is going to be a common theme in throughout life but asaph is reminding us of the same thing jeremiah is as jeremiah sits on the on the rubble that was the temple As Asaph looks out over what seems to be the hypocrisy and injustice of life, he forces himself to see the reality of who God is and how things really work. And that is to recognize the things that seem to be a blessing, meaning the things that seem to bring prosperity in this life, the the material resources, the positions of power and fame and wealth, These are fleeting and ultimately of very little value. It is my relationship to God Himself. It is His relationship to me. It is His ongoing promises to His people. This is what is of immense, eternal value. I think it's an important idea to reflect on in these days. And and here's here's where we we really take this even a step further, and and we go from like Jeremiah's day, and we we draw a straight line to the gospel itself. Because I don't know if we think about the benefits of the gospel this way. In many ways, you could argue, this is the greatest glory of the gospel itself as it pertains to us. And What is that? That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the work of Christ, crucified and resurrected, through, through the giving of faith by a sovereign God, through the giving of grace by that same God, through the, through the transformation of the soul, giving the ability to confess faith, through that glorious work of the gospel, to save me from my sins, to forgive me of my sins, to, to make me now a child of the living God, perhaps the greatest glory for us in all of that is not just that you get forgiven, it's not just that you're made a child of God, it's that in that great transaction of going from sinner to saved, of going from a child of wrath to a child of God, going from disobedience to obedience, going from darkness to light, that in all of that, the greatest gift is God gives Himself to you as an eternal possession. That's unbelievable it's unbelievable that you now have as an eternal inheritance the triune god father, son and spirit the lord is my portion and so let me encourage you church let me encourage you as we face the hard days to come and they're not we know they're they're not over Really, only just begun in some ways. And do you know? You know what? I, what I think is really hard. It's when you drive down the street and you still see the stuff, right? Because we know. We know the people. We know that stuff. Some of it is—it's your stuff. And here's what I love about what I've heard from every person. Every home I've been in, every person I've talked to, everyone says the same thing. It's just stuff. And I, and I appreciate that, by the way. What, what a heart and mind to say, yes, it's just stuff. But we can also be honest, right? It's your stuff. And, and, and I recognize that yes, there are material possessions there that that you evaluate differently. I mean, I I recognize that yes, some of it, you know, again, are just material possessions. Some of them are valuable. Some of them are literally valuable, right? Meaning expensive furniture, stoves, refrigerators, washers and dryers. But Some things have a different value. In fact, we all know well that in those piles there are things that are perhaps of value only to those people. You and I might call them trinkets. Perhaps they've been passed down from generation to generation. Perhaps it, it was something like the ashtray I made for my mother when I was a child. She doesn't smoke, all right, but she kept, she still has it. She has an ashtray. My mom has an ashtray that I made for her, all right? It's worth. It's a terrible one at that. I, I mean, I don't know what it takes to make a good ashtray, but I mean, it's a bad one. Why an art class let me do it? I don't really know. Okay, but they did. It was back in the day. It was Ohio. I don't know. All right. It was so it was different then. But if that if she had to get rid of that, it's of no value except to her. I mean, what value do wedding pictures have to anybody else? But they're valuable to you. Baby pictures. I, I, that's what's hard, right? And in fact, I think you'll, you'll see spirits begin to change as those, as those piles are removed, alright? That, that'll, that'll be a momentous occasion in the life of this city. We recognize the other stuff, but it's our stuff, and it hurts. But then there's the other side to that. I, I, I don't know why God allowed all this, I can give you some reasons. I don't know all of why God may have allowed some of this, but I can tell you this. These are always times that force us to evaluate what do we value? What do we really value? What do we really love? And to those of you, us, myself included, who do not have a pile of stuff in front of our yard, drive by those piles because that is what your stuff amounts to as well. Oh, I know, that, I know that's hard to hear, isn't it? Could just have easily been us. Could have been a lot more of us. When you look by them, you're going to have to tell yourself. You're going to have to recall this to your mind. Therefore, you will have hope. The Lord is your there's nothing of greater value than Him it's not just what He does for you it's the Lord Himself given to you as an unbreakable indestructible inheritance from God reserved for you in glory and I love the Ephesians passage we were to read you know as, as the music was playing I love what that passage says because it says that in glory God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of His grace forever. Do you know what immeasurable riches look like when God's the one who uses that phrase to describe it? Do you recognize the value that is awaiting you? It is far far greater than anything we can think or imagine. The Lord is my portion. So he concludes that little section by saying, therefore I will have hope. Because the the Lord is of infinite value. Do I value Him as my portion? This, by the way, I think gives us a great transition into taking of the Lord's Supper together this morning. Because what is it that we have in the Lord's Supper? We have bread and we have a cup. Are there any simpler elements out there? God could have given us anything in this memorial supper, but He gave us bread and He gave us a cup perhaps the simplest elements to life themselves. And yet it is through this that we remember a body that was broken and blood that was shed for us. We are brought face to face with this truth that because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, God is now, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is now our portion. We belong to Him. He belongs to us. This is the glory of the gospel. As you take of the bread, as you drink of the cup, remember, God has done what was necessary in order to give us this faith and confidence. We worship here today the way that we worship because of the promise of the gospel. The Lord is our portion because of the gospel. I would encourage you that as we prepare our hearts to take of this supper, that you would then prepare yours. We will have a moment of prayer here in just a moment. I'll give you a, a time of silent prayer where you, just where you are, can pray. The Bible encourages us as we prepare to take of this, these elements together. We confess our sins to the Lord. I would encourage you to do so as we partake of each element. There's an opportunity as music plays to to think about a broken body and shed blood without which there would be no salvation. This is not just a means of salvation, the gospel is not even just the best means of salvation, it is the only means of salvation. And as we take this supper together, what a great time to remember what matters the most. And that is the work of the gospel. Christ work on our behalf so that the Lord is our portion. So let's take some time and pray together. I'd encourage you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and you can take a moment and just where you are begin to prepare to take this supper together. I will close our time in prayer and then we will take these elements together. God of mercies and compassions, God of great faithfulness, to the Lord who is our portion. We humbly bow once again, grateful for Your work on our behalf through the gospel, and in knowing that through Christ we belong to You and You belong to us. We thank You for what is the profound hope that You are our portion. And so, Father, as we prepare ourselves to take of these elements, we first come confessing our sin, our ongoing need not to be saved again to continue to submit to Your work of sanctification in our lives, to continue to submit to Your work of making us like Christ. As we we engage in this time of solemn remembrance, we, we again yield our lives to You, praying that You, by the ongoing work of Your Spirit, would continue to form and fashion us to the people You would design for us to be, and all for Your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.